leading a company today looks a lot different than it did five, 10, or 20 years ago. With greater focus on innovation and employee well being, leaders must show up in a manner that demonstrates empathy, curiosity, and inclusiveness. But what can leaders do to expand their ability to operate that way? We're going to explore that question and much more in today's podcast. Today's podcast is the sixth installment of a series in partnership with Tomorrow Zone. Today, Deborah Rubin interviews Jen Cronenberger. Jen is a sought-after four-time TEDx speaker and compassionate leadership cultural change consultant. An entrepreneurial powerhouse, she's the founder and chief inspiration officer of J. Lynn Consulting Group and the Human Leadership Institute. Her clients and audiences have included notable pro athletes and teams and names like Giant Company, Nike, Penn Medicine, USA Hockey, and P&G, just to name a few. She recently co-founded and launched the Ethos Mentality Group, which helps professional athletes reimagine and transition to life after sports. Jen holds certifications from Harvard, Cornell, and Yale. For more information about Jen and her work, visit teamjlcg.com and ethosmentality.com. And of course, many of you know Deb Rubin, who is founder and CEO of Tomorrow Zone, a consulting firm inspiring both futuristic thinking and action to innovate in equipment finance and beyond. Tomorrow Zone works with leaders and teams who want to leverage technology to drive innovation, enhance customer experience, and grow their businesses. If you want to quickly comprehend the current state of your processes and technology to reveal the big picture and reimagine for the future, while uncovering non-obvious profit potential and open new growth options for your business, Tomorrow Zone can help. If you feel stuck in the status quo and need a fresh perspective, Tomorrow Zone can be a strategic thought partner to help you see around corners and create short-term wins with long-term scalability in mind. Learn more at tomorrowzone.io. Before Deb and Jen begin, I want to tell you all about my team's latest project, which I'm really excited about, Monitor Suite. Monitor Suite is the preeminent subscription platform for exclusive premium equipment finance industry content and much more. It features high quality streaming video series, such as our new series, Three Minutes with industry leaders, and our documentary video series, Reels. Monitor Suite members also have 24-7 access to our entire library of in-depth data reports going back to 1992. Members can also attend our members-only live stream events, and they have exclusive article access and much more. For more information about Monitor Suite, please visit monitordaily.com suite. Monitor Suite is actually a project that I've been working on during my time in cohort two of Stripe's leadership program, which just happens to be today's podcast sponsor. Stripe's is the leadership development program for the equipment finance industry. This 10 month program launches with a three day intensive transformational program and also includes master talks and master workshops from notable industry and leadership experts working cohort groups with other industry professionals, outcome-driven development sessions, and much more. Stripes has been a phenomenal experience for me, and I encourage you to learn more about the program by visiting stripesleadership.com. And now, let's tune in to Jen and Deb. 
I'm here with Jen Kronberger, and she is an amazing friend of mine, and she's doing a lot of work in the area of organizational psychology. She has a background in sports psychology, which I think brings an incredible perspective to the world of business and leadership and professional development. And so I wanted to talk to her about the human side of innovation and how to create that psychological safety that is so vital for teams that really want to innovate, whether they're doing a micro innovation or they want to create a giant leap into the future. If we can't work together right, the best technology and the best methodology is not going to make any difference. So welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for joining me. It is my pleasure as always, Deb. Awesome. So I wanted to dive in and just learn a bit about what you're doing today. So if you could just share a bit about what it is that you do and your focus and what are some of the key events in your background that led you to what you're doing today? That's a great question. What I do, I see myself at the intersection of leadership, culture, and performance. And if I go way back, I was an athlete my whole life. I first started playing Little League Baseball with the boys. I was the only girl on my team. And I didn't really think much of it at the time <laughs> until later when I look back and I recognize, yeah, you know what? I was the only girl on the team. And... There was something about that, about looking at how I was feeling then versus how I feel looking back on it now. When we're younger, we don't really care. Not, none of that really matters to us. And then as we get older, we start to recognize that there are certain things that we do and don't recognize the power and the importance of what we're doing. So, you know, through my life, I always kept foot in the sports world. And I realize now that there was a reason for that. There's something really powerful about understanding competitive athletics and competitive athletes. So when I got my master's degree, I got it in sports and human performance psychology. And I think for me, I started to put together the idea of how we interact with each other, what teams really are all about. And that same is true with leaders, how we lead people, how we connect with people to get the best out of them. So I find that through my career, transitioning from sports into the corporate world, it worked. It was seamless. It was exactly what I was supposed to be talking about. People understood the correlation and could see why that performance really has so much to do with how we lead and how we show up every day. And it has to do with the connections we make as through that, the work with companies now is a lot of culture work. It's a lot of being in this space of creating safe environments, creating psychological safety creating and holding space for people to show up as their true selves and what that looks like. I think today we sit in this place of real opportunity. I think we've been through a lot as a humanity and over these last two years, two and a half years, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of new things. It's been a lot of stress response. It's been a lot of cortisol for each one of us. As a competitive athlete, we know that well. But that doesn't last for months and months and months. It's short periods at a time. And I think going through this, where we are, is that we've been doing this for a long time. 
And today, I think more than ever, it is so critically important for us to understand and to have some grace and compassion for people that generally, as a rule of thumb today, people are not really okay. And that is okay. I think so often we've learned how to show up perfectly. We've been asked sometimes to just leave that stuff at home. But when we show up at work and in our work environment, we're not two different people. We're the same person that just walked out the door with screaming kids and barking dogs and a sick spouse or whatever it is. And I think to go back to the fact that nothing matters unless we focus on the human being, nothing else really can happen without us making sure that we are whole and well. So, you know, that, that brings me to where we are today and the work that I'm doing today and the recognition of the importance of this human side of us and that it's okay. It's okay that we're going through it, but we just have to find ways to hold space for that for other people as well. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So we're doing this interview for an equipment finance industry magazine. And in our industry, it's all about financial and physical assets. But I've heard you say people are the greatest asset. I'm just curious, like what problems did you observe in corporate culture that inspired the work that you're doing today? And how have your views on people as an asset evolved over time? Yeah, I was running an athletic training center. I owned it. It was my thing. 20,000 square feet of athletic training. And it was fabulous. I loved every minute of it. And I worked seven days a week and I called it eight to faint. <laughs> that was my schedule. What was that? Eight, eight to faint? Faint. <laughs> like faint. faint. Out. Oh my. <laughs> Same eight more. to faint. That was it. That's That was my schedule. People were like, oh, what hours do you work? Yeah, that was it. So it, I recognized through that, I loved it. I loved every part of it. I love sports. I love all of that. But... And this is a but, usually I don't use but, I use the word and. This was a but. I couldn't reach as many people as I wanted to, being in that one location. So I decided that I would not renew the lease, I would close that down and move on to taking this message outside of there. And I was working with collegiate teams, I was working with pro teams, and then I started to really make that transition into the corporate world. Now again, this was about 12, 13 years ago. And when I started doing that and go back in time with me to that mind space, I think back then, where it was very much about how do we produce results from our people, right? It was leaders have to lead by example. Leaders need to, and all of a sudden we started talking about this idea of servant leadership, right? So all of these new found ideas were born, but we still were neglecting. And I remember specifically being on the phone with this woman <clears throat> very early on in my speaking career. And she said to me specifically, yeah, all this sounds great. I was on your website. I found you online. This all looks good. I just want to make sure though, that you understand we don't want anything too touchy feely because you know, our people aren't really like that. And I remember hesitating for a second, and I can tell you exactly where I was. I was helping a friend move at the time, and I was literally standing in the moving truck 
on my cell phone having this conversation trying to nail down this speaking gig. And I remember I paused and I'm standing there staring down the road. And I was like, too did she say too touchy-feely? What does that mean? And I remember spending a couple minutes trying to convince this woman that I was not too touchy-feely and that I was imagining these people in like suits and very serious faces. Like I had to talk to these robots. And so I tried to convince her. And I remember when I hung up the phone, I was like, gosh, what did I just do? And I remember a day later, she hired me in an email. And I thought, okay, I got my work cut out for me here. Because how am I gonna show up as my true self and talk about being authentic, being genuine, holding space? I was talking about love in the workplace before it was cool to talk about love in the workplace. And I recognize that now. And it was funny because when I showed up that day and I did my thing, I remember her specifically saying at the very end, oh my gosh, that was perfect. It was exactly what we wanted. Now, the best part is I was touchy-feely because you know what? I'm talking to human beings. We are emotional creatures. And so I've seen that evolve over time. And now if you look and you start to read articles in Harvard Business Review, Forbes, you can find one almost every day in these publications and with these companies who are researching the importance of taking care of your people, the importance of belonging in the workplace, how the sense of belonging can literally save companies $52 million, a company of 10,000 people can save $52 million if they know that there's belonging in the workplace. Why? Because uh, less turnover, less call outs, you have this higher productivity because there's job satisfaction, there's engagement, all of these things that cost money. It's the bottom line. We're still talking about results, but this is why it's important. Those things impact those numbers greatly. And finally, we have the research to prove it. That's awesome. And it's so interesting how everything is so interconnected. One of the things that I caught, you were talking about how a lot of people are just not okay today. If you look at what's happened over the past couple of years, and we're continuing to live in this world where we're surrounded by chaotic events that pop up and there's turmoil and there's challenge and still we're still continuing through a pandemic what would you say about how leaders need to show up today compared to what might have been taught in the past yeah for sure i think understanding empathy really understanding empathy that it's different than sympathy we i think we get them confused a lot i keep joking i'm gonna write to hallmark and tell them they're really supposed to be empathy cards not sympathy cards but it's really about it's not just about being able to stand in someone else's shoes that's great but it's more than that it's actually being vulnerable enough to risk going into that space where i might feel those emotions all over again it's being vulnerable enough to sit with someone in silence, which none of us are good at. When someone loses a loved one, one of the most important things I think we can say is I'm here and I'll sit in it with you for as long as it takes. Not, hey, let me know what you need because we don't wanna put the onus on someone else. It's about really showing up and showing up vulnerably in that time. I think when we do that, we inspire others, we give others the permission to do the same. And I think that's the important part of leading today. I developed these, this idea of the five C's a long time ago, actually. I had 
five C's that I talked about showing up as your best self. And those were character, communication, choice, courage, and confidence. I built my whole speaking career on that, on those five principles. And I used those with my athletes. I used them with my executives. And we built a framework around what it looks like to design your own breakthrough. And then that's what we called it. And so we moved from there, and that's a whole thing in and of itself that I do with companies. And I developed now in this time, in this place, I developed these five C's 2.0. And they're curiosity, clarity, commitment, consistency, and choice. And really looking at, and sometimes I change that choice out for culture depending on who I'm talking to. But looking at these opportunities for us, and when we lead this way, when we really focus on those five principles, those five C words, we can find our way through with grace, with compassion, to be able to take others with us. It's because that's what it's about. We're not a leader if no one's behind us. <laughs> what are you leading? Nobody. We have to make sure that we are paving that way and that we're going back to the very tenet of being a leader and that's having followers and that's putting myself out there and showing people yes there is a lead by example but it's different today it's a different example we need to set and i think that's key one of the things that you talk about and it's something that's a passion of mine as well is curiosity for leaders, it was your first C. I believe that innovation is fueled by curiosity. Can you say a bit more about what that means in terms of showing up and leading by a different example today? Yeah, I think curiosity absolutely, I like to call it exercises the mind muscle, right? It gives us this opportunity to build a mental toughness that we may not have otherwise. But it also makes us open to others' ideas, others' examples, others' thoughts, others' shared experiences or lived experiences. So I think we have so much more to learn, so much more to understand that we cannot be the center of our own information. We have to recognize that the only way for innovation to happen is with diversity of thought. And diversity of thought is about making sure that there's other opinions and other ideas that are different than mine. And then I'm willing to be okay enough to weigh that stuff. So I, I mentioned this when we were talking before, but I, I'm taking this class in neuroscience and the brain and how the brain operates in business. And it's, it's like mind blowing stuff. I just, I love that stuff. But with my sports psychology background, I studied the brain a lot and how the mind and body are connected. And the different things that, that the different neurons that fire when and, and why, how to really make that happen ourselves, knowing what we can do and what we can think about and which ways we can focus. When I worked with professional athletes, I would have them write a mantra that they would repeat to themselves when they went out into competition. And the reason for that is because the mind cannot focus on two things at once. We think we're, we really think we're good multitaskers, but quite frankly, it's impossible to do. When we're dividing our time, we're also dividing our results and our outcome. I think focusing on doing one thing at a time is really good for business. But anyway, so this idea of how we show up this way, staying curious helps us 
to be able to develop that over time and to hear things differently, to see things differently, to give our minds different focuses and different things to, to ping back and forth with, which, you know, it, it's it, these belief windows that we look through. I always talk about, you know, how we see the world is shaped upon our experiences and others have other experiences too. So when we can combine them, innovation happens. That's the way it works, but we can't do it if we're so stuck in just believing what we believe and thinking what we think. There's so many different answers out there. We need to be open to that. I love that. What is something that a leader could do to expand their ability to operate that way? Just looking for like some practical tips for leaders. Meditation. Oh, that's a good one. I yes, I, yes. I throw that out there and people are like, ah, I can't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds like I used to say that. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it, everyone's like, oh, that's really good. Actually, um, if we're talking about neuroscience, I will tell you meditation is actually a fantastic way to start to work those brain patterns, to give yourself that kind of like the elasticity to be able to think outside of your current thoughts. And a lot of people think that meditation is hands out and arms folded or legs folded and a candle and some chanting. That's not what it is at all. Meditation is actually stillness. It's quiet. It's being the most present that you can possibly be. That's what meditation is. It's being in the present moment. And so I think practicing being in the present moment does so many things. As far as innovation, as far as leading, as far as being able to tap into your people, being present is the only way we can really do it. But yet none of us really do a good job at being present. There's so many times where we'll be looking at something on our phone and talking to someone or listening or think we're listening. But again, the brain can't do two things at once. So we're really not listening. And then all of a sudden it's like, are you listening to me? Yeah, I heard you. You said something about chicken for dinner. Nope, that's not what I said at all, right? I mean, we've all had those conversations. So I think that's number one, is finding ways to be present in meditation is such an easy way to do that. But the second one is really practicing listening. You know, we talk about like active listening, we talk about all these things, but listening in a way that you've never listened before. In this class, I remember going through this process of learning how to listen with your eyes that if I am not making eye contact with the person I'm talking to, or when they're talking to me, I'm really not listening. Eye contact releases different chemicals in the brain and it allows us to be present and it allows us to actually feel good about what we're doing and what we're saying. So imagine being able to up that idea of empathy and human connection by just making eye contact. That oxytocin that is released in the brain is everything. And it's all of those good feelings and all of the stuff that we're searching for. Make eye contact, it will change everything. And those are just right off the top of my head, two real quick Mm -hmm. things that we can practice and they take a second, both of them. That's really awesome. I'm I'm going to be working on that right away. (laughs) Yeah, we're coming to the top of our time here. That went so fast and I could talk about this stuff with you for hours. (laughs) It's so fascinating. Just a last thought from you. So we've been exploring the human side of innovation and specifically what it takes for leaders to show up and inspire 
that within their teams. What's one thing that that people can do today to shape a better tomorrow for themselves and for their teams? Focus on the fact that, and I know you heard me say this before, but no one's coming to save you. You are the person you've been waiting for. And when we can really grasp that and recognize that, you know what, I have so many opportunities ahead of me. I have so many wonderful choices that I get to make, not that I have to make. Notice there's a difference in what the mind reads in both of those scenarios. I have to, or I get to. Change the way we speak to ourselves, change the way we're speaking to others, and recognize the fact that I have everything I need. I have everything I need. And if I can just show up that way, I'm gonna be okay. And so is everybody around me. (laughs) Because you know what? We lead by example, don't we? Truthfully, we show up that way and we do it over and over and other people actually feel safe enough to do it too. That was just beautiful, so profound. Thank you so much, Jen. It was just a pleasure talking with you this morning. I really enjoy the conversation that Deb and Jen had today, and I hope that you did too. I wanted to share a few of my biggest takeaways from their conversation. First, leaders can expand their ability to become more empathic and curious by meditating and by really listening to the people they're having conversations with. Being present and really devoting our focus to the person or task in front of us matters so much and will make such a difference. People can tell the difference and your work can tell the difference as well. Second, empathy is more than sympathy. It requires us to become more vulnerable and it requires sitting with discomfort. It's not easy, but having this ability will inspire others and give them permission to be vulnerable as well, which is what leaders today really need to do. Finally, when we change our language from I have to to I get to, we will realize that we already have everything we need and that we are responsible for our own success. That was a big one for me. What were your biggest takeaways? Email me at rita.garwood at monitordaily.com or reach out to me on LinkedIn and let me know. That wraps up this week's podcast. Be sure to check out Monitor Suite and Stripes Leadership Program and have a wonderful week. Thanks.